Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. Here's my joke. Um, a guy walks into a bar. Ouch. I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And from American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that helps you win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from our guest of honor, the O. Henry Award-winning author Marissa Silver. Believe it or not, we'll be speaking with her later. I believe it. It's not a very literary joke. (laughs) It's a very short joke. Coming up, Apple is for Lovers, Pork Detectors, a punk rock train robber, vet exorcist, parasite errants, and a tune that tickles us pink. But first... Time for small talk. So, Rico, lots of scary things happened in the news this week. Yeah, you're telling me. Yeah, you. Besides your tooth being removed. That's right. I got a tooth extraction. <laughs> That's pretty. That was the headline, pretty much for me. Yeah. So much more important than the guy who nearly blew up Times Square. That is true. That was that was not good either. <laughs> also more important than the hole in the ocean floor left there by a, a broken oil rig that is now gushing oil all over the already battered Gulf Coast. That's true. But the good news is BP is going to drop a 40-foot-tall steel dome on top of it. So that's... <laughs> It's it's like something out of a James Bond movie. Can't they take all their profits from last year and make them into cash and stuff it in the hole? That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> they should clog it up. But here's the one that I thought was really, really bad. The stock market on Thursday briefly plummeted 1,000 points, yeah. and it was caused by this glitch that no one can explain. That is pretty bad. It's like we're not talking about a computer printer here, man. We're talking about our national economy. It's not just something, you switch it on and off, and it's, yeah, jiggle it's the, all better. You, did you jiggle the switch? <laughs> Yeah, oh, and it's working. Yeah, no, don't take it in. I lost we don't nearly, need to know what the problem is. <laughs> I lost nearly $40 when that happened. It was, it was a strange hour. But um, All right, for, for an antidote to all this bleak, bleak cloud of fear, we asked the folks at Marketplace to tell us some less scary news stories. Betsy Streisand, senior editor for Marketplace. What's your story this weekend? I'm going to be talking about this new kind of genetic engineering. If it works, it'll produce a whole new generation of people wanting to buy iPads, iPods, i-everything. Okay, tell me more. It's a dating site for Apple lovers. <laughs> yep. So it's like woman seeking male must have black mock turtleneck and great design sense? Yeah, that would do it. Then when you meet the Steve Jobs of your dreams. You create the next generation of uh, users? Yeah, iKids. <laughs> Don't leave your iKids at a bar. Delassi Michelis. Web guy at Marketplace, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Well, scientists in Kazakhstan have developed an instant test to detect if food has pork in it. Why would they do that? Well, uh, Kazakhstan's a large, largely Muslim country, and Islam prohibits uh, the eating of pork. Can't they just not order pork? Well, a lot of people mix uh, pork in with the beef to make it cheaper. Oh. I hope they don't test this on the McRib. Because I'm afraid it'll come up negative. Yeah, politicians are pretty scared, too, because uh, anyone can just take it and apply it to a bill. <laughs> Stacey Vanek-Smith, senior reporter from Marketplace. What's your story this weekend? Brendan, beautiful women can kill you. I've been on a suicide mission my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, actually. They did a study where, uh, for men, being around attractive women can raise their stress levels. And that can lead to all kinds of things like heart disease and diabetes and hypertension. I can live with that. (laughs) And now, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like history is Godzilla, which we nuke 
with a booze bomb. <laughs> I'm contaminated. We all are. All right, first, the history part. This week, back in 2001, Ronnie Biggs returned to England. Now, the non-Brits at your dinner party might guess Biggs was a soccer star or maybe a political hostage. They would be wrong on both counts. Our friend Michelle Philippi is here with the story. For most people, robbing a train is a pretty unusual thing to do. For Ronnie Biggs, that was just the beginning. The robbery went down on August 8, 1963, Ronnie's birthday, which he decided to celebrate by helping some pals steal 2.6 million pounds sterling from a mail train. Today, that'd be 60 million bucks. It was the biggest heist in British history. But Ronnie got caught, and the really crazy stuff began. First, he busted out of jail in broad daylight. Then, he had his face surgically altered and dodged police on three continents until he wound up in Brazil, where he got a stripper pregnant. Smart move. The Brazilian government wouldn't extradite anyone with a Brazilian kid. So even when English cops found Ronnie, they couldn't arrest him. Instead, he spent the next 20 years hanging out in sunny Rio, cashing in on his rep as the luckiest fugitive on earth. Hello, my name's Ronnie Biggs, and I've written this book, and I'm hoping that it's going to be a really big seller, probably the bestseller, probably the book of the year. In addition to books, Ronnie sold T-shirts with the slogan, Rio, a great place to escape to. He charged tourists 50 pounds for, quote, the Ronnie Biggs experience, a.k.a. taking him out to dinner. And for extra cash, he sang lead vocals on a couple of tunes by the Sex Pistols. But in 2001, old and broke, Ronnie went back to England and surrendered. He said he wanted to do his time and have a British pint before he died. Eight years later, dying of pneumonia and a broken hip, he was released from jail the day before his 80th birthday. That was the history lesson. Now it's time for the booze. I'm on the line with Robert Krajewski. He's the bar manager at Adventure Bar in London, uh, maybe a bar that Ronnie Biggs would have wanted to go to if he had not been locked up as soon as he returned to England. Robert, you heard the history. What cocktail did it inspire you to make? Okay, basically what I've done, I went for things that Ronnie loved the most, which is gold and beer. He loves gold and beer. And so how did you combine these two? Well, he was a proper London boy, so the most, known London's booze is gin, it's always been. <laughs> now I'm scared about what you came up with. So there's beer and there's gin, and what else? Yes, there's beer, there's gin, there's a little bit of Galliano that gives you really nice gold color. What it's is like that? like a sort of a vanilla liqueur. Okay, a vanilla liqueur, okay. Uh, you top it up with a little bit of sugar syrup, uh, probably about a quarter ounce. Uh-huh. And one ounce of London's Sprite Real Ale. Re- it's like a London ale? Yeah, in martini glass. Uh-huh. I know it sounds weird, but you know something? <laughs> it tastes really great. Okay. I came up with a name, Rob Me Ronnie. Rob, the Rob Me Ronnie. I like it. I like it. So I have one last question for you, which is uh, you're from Poland? Yes, I'm Polish. And you're in England. How do I know that you're not on the lamb like Ronnie Biggs? <laughs> By the way, Brendan, Ronnie Biggs is still alive. 
just barely. Wow. And there's so much insane stuff about his life that we could not fit into that couple of minutes. He was actually kidnapped a few times while he was in Brazil. It's in, it's totally insane. It sounds like he had a pretty pretty interesting life. I'm still marveling at that cocktail, the, yeah. this combination of gin and beer. That's true. It, it seems so forced. That I, I, have a, I have a feeling that by the time this goes to broadcast, that's like the current British government is going to be <laughs> a similar assemblage. Conservatives of like, and liberal Democrats? That's right. Bitters and gin. That doesn't go at all. All in a martini glass with the Polish bartender in London. But uh, something that goes perfectly with you, ladies and gentlemen, is our website, which you can find at dinnerpartydownload.com. Our guest of honor this week is author Marissa Silver. You may have read her short stories in The New Yorker. She has won the prestigious O. Henry Prize. She just released a new short story collection. It's called Alone With You. And Marissa, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, before we started this interview, you noted the cover of the book, which has an Edward Hopper painting in it. And you said something I thought rather interesting well, about Well, you know, it. I I looked at this image and I said to my editor, I can't imagine writing a book for which this image wouldn't be appropriate. Right. Now, why? Well, let me describe the image for a second. It's, it's two people sitting in a cafeteria. They're not sitting together, but they're sort of glancing at one another. So there's both separation and intimacy. And I think a lot of what I write about, especially in Alone With You, are about um, how hard it is to be intimate with people and how when you are closest to someone, you can feel the most alone and separate. What kind of surprises me a lot about these stories and your work in general is that how often it is not depressing given those themes. (laughs) Yes, I'm so glad you said that. You know, I don't think of my stories as being depressing at all. I think of them as being sort of accurate and oftentimes they're funny. Yeah, you've got an article in this month's Los Angeles magazine about a real now deceased couple here in L.A. who built this Baroque bomb shelter in their basement because they're afraid that the biblical end times were coming. And instead of that coming off as pathetic or insane, you seem to kind of find it wonderful. I thought it was incredible. They have like 20 giant cans of caviar. They have records and books. They have meat hooks. They have tea sets and silver. And it, it's incredible. And I guess this in the same way that I, I deal with the characters in my fiction. I don't usually bring judgment to that. Yeah. I don't look at people's lives and think, oh, that's so sad or that's so tragic. I think that's such a wonderful mystery to unfold. You know, this forces me to ask you, this article is so visual, the way you write about all of these objects, and your writing in general is so visual, and you used to be a filmmaker. You made permanent record, probably still the best movie ever to star Keanu Reeves, (laughs) but you totally turned your back on movies. To, I turned my write. back on movies. You know, I started making movies very young. I, I made about four feature films in my 20s. But um, I recognized very clearly that the stories that I cared about, which were about the nuance between characters and maybe about the smallest little change, um, were not usually the stories that were told on film. But it did seem like the movies that you were making, I mean, you won a, one of the early years of Sundance with a short film, right. and you kind of were on the track to be able to make movies like that. Um, I suppose. But I guess as a filmmaker, I felt like I was on this really fast, really exciting train and it was the wrong train in my life. And here's the double secret thing. Although I do like human beings, I actually really like to be alone in my room. (laughs) (laughs) So a film set is not the ideal place for you. No. Um, All right. We have two questions that we ask everyone on the show. The first one is, if we are seated next to you at a dinner party, what question should we not ask you? Well, what people who know me would say most about me is that I ask too many questions. And so probably if you were seated at a dinner party, you wouldn't wouldn't get a word word in edgewise. Exactly. You know, a a question that is often asked to me that sort of is a corollary to that is how do you know about all the different people who you write about? Because they're all very different from me. 
Mm-hmm. And I guess that's the answer to that question is I ask a lot of questions. Well, you won't get a chance to do that this time, Silver, <laughs> because here comes question number two, uh, which is actually more of a statement. Tell us something we don't know. I uh, once uh, went to an exorcism. What? When I was 20, I left college. Um, don't tell my children. <laughs> and I started to make documentary films, and I got a job to make a documentary film for PBS about fundamental Christians living in Indiana, and I was sent out to figure out what to make the film about. I ended up at a um, veterinarian clinic, and there was the vet who also was an exorcist. I mean, what did it look like? Was it was it like the movie? <laughs> um, it was kind of gross, actually. It was um, emetic. It was vomiting. They would vomit out the, um, the ah. devils into large garbage pails. This is suddenly not dinner party conversation. <laughs> You know, Rico, I once exercised in college, and I, too, vomited in a big garbage pail. <laughs> oh, my God. You were momentarily possessed by the demon of health. Dude, don't worry. It was nothing a mountain of ramen didn't fix immediately. Yeah, I can see that. Sleep deprivation. Um, hey, if you want to banter with us, join our Facebook page. We're at facebook.com slash dinnerpartydownload. So we've met our guest of honor. Now it's time for the main course, the part of the show where we talk about food. So Rico, the Mission District in San Francisco is, uh, you know, it's a working class Latino neighborhood, yes. which has been gentrifying. Of course, for like most years. of the city. Yes. So there's this little market on 24th and Hampshire, kind of in the heart of the mission. It's called Tony's. And it's like a perfect example of what's happening there. Yeah. From the outside, it's, it looks like a, like any bodega. Okay. It sells lotto tickets. There's a sign offering pounders of Budweiser for a buck 29. That sounds awesome. Exactly. I have to check out <laughs> Tony's market. How do you think I found this story, then? It was that sign. It was a beacon. But check it. Inside Tony's, for three hours a day, you can also get these insane organic locavore sandwiches like house-smoked Sonoma duck breast on Acme roll with roasted pink lady apples, house-made sauerkraut, heirloom Italian arugula, and mustard. Did you memorize that? <laughs> it's like a Gary a... Snyder poem, actually. Anyway, there's this sandwich shop in there. It's called Pal's Takeaway. It's run by a guy named Jeff Mason, and it's basically like a permanent pop-up restaurant that lives inside this market, which is owned and operated by a totally different guy named Casa. So the other day, I met with the owner of Pal's, Jeff, and uh, I told him I'd come up with a name for this business arrangement he'd created. Parasiteron. A parasiteron? Yeah, the word parasite and food don't go together. <laughs> but if you, but parasite. Some odd third world country, then they then go great. But, but parasite, if you actually look it up, both people thrive, and that right. seems to be the case here. I would suggest another metaphor. That's <laughs> what I would suggest. All right, well, I think microentrepreneurial is too, uh, too mouthy. Well, the reason that I use microentrepreneurial is that basically there's a lot of people like me now around. There's a lot of food trucks, a lot of people doing single item marketing. You know, we're not thinking of going, oh, I opened one, now I'll open 20. It's kind of like a little petty bourgeoisie has established, you know, there's like craft, small sandwich shops, you know. And I think it's in the great tradition of food, but I also think it was born out of economic need, you know. A lot of people were thrown out of work, what am I going to do? Oh, it's, you know, my grandmother used to make these great cadoodles. Maybe I should try making the cadoodles and see if I can sell them. And all of a sudden there's a line, at, you know, out in front of the cadoodle shop. What the hell is a cadoodle? I made it up. I have no idea what it is. But it sounded good, isn't it? I know. I kind of want to open a cadoodle shop and charge people. cross between a snickerdoodle and a ho-ho. Kale and a snickerdoodle. A kale. <laughs> how, how did you end up at this spot? Well, it was kind of fortuitous. I had been looking to do this kind of sandwich place for a couple of years, but I didn't have hardly any money. So the people at Dynamo Donut 
across the street, which is another little micro-entrepreneurial place, said, oh, you know, the guy across the street at the market, Casa, has got this great market. It's clean. Everybody loves him. He's got an empty deli counter. Why don't you go over there and talk to him? And we opened it for next to nothing. And ever since then, we've just been rolling right along. Can I, can I get your name? Casa. This is your market? That's my market. What, what the heck is going on over here? Oh, that's really good. Pauls, they are people are really, really good people. How did it start? This was one day in the afternoon, they approached me and they asked me if uh, we can go work together. And I said, okay. And has it picked up the business in general for your store in the afternoon? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Here's a question I'm intrigued by, because this is a gourmet food operation. It's a pretty working class neighborhood. Is there a different sort of clientele that comes for the sandwiches? Has it brought in new sorts of folks? Yeah, the sandwich bring different people, really. Different kind of people, I mean. Like foodie people and bike... Exactly, foodie people. Weird haircuts, small, skinny jeans. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> the hipsters. The hipster. most of them the hipster. Who else would pay $8 for a sandwich? Exactly, <laughs> nobody. All right, Brendan, I love that guy. He sounds really lovely, but I have to say that eight bucks for a sandwich like that is like nothing. No, I know, I know. We actually talked about that. He really works hard to keep the price at a place that people will buy the food, but, you know, I couldn't resist taking a cheap shot at food unions, man, you know. Because we don't hang with those kind of people. Are you kidding? Pass the pesticide-free radicchio, my friend. (laughs) I would, but I'll scuff my flu box. And that's the Dinner Party download for this week, Flubogs. Keep up with us between shows on Twitter. We're at Dinner Party DNLD. Thanks this week to Colin Anderson, Ben Trefney, the crew at KALW, Chrissy Clark, and Brian Jones. We leave you, as always, with One for the Road, a song to play on your way to or departing from this weekend's dinner party. So this one comes from a visionary pop weirdo, Ariel Pink. He's finally getting his due. He's got a new album coming out in June, and this is his single from that album. It's called Round and Round. Bon appétit. It's always the same as always said and tongue tied.
Sandra Galliano's son. And I'm Netta Noonan's son. And see, Mom, we can make a living doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you were wrong all along. Rock and roll and food. <laughs>